Today, I want to talk to you about, uh, we've, been, we've been in this initiative, the Hope, Voice of Hope initiative, and there's a lot of reasons, there's one overarching reason, why would we do that? Why do we want to be a voice of hope? Why? And why would we go to such extreme measures to be that voice? Why would we respond to the community when they're calling, literally they're coming to us, calling on us, can you help us see what you all see? Can you help us have what you all seem to have? And it's quite an honor, it's quite a responsibility. But bottom line is, for those of us in the church family, for those of us in the Crossings family right now, we, we can't be a voice of hope unless we have made a commitment to the giver of hope. I just wanna be sure we get that clear. I, I love talking about being a voice of hope and we do that extremely well as you saw in the video. Um, you know, the video that shows appreciation uh, for those incarcerated, how, pre how much they appreciate that uh, we even acknowledge they exist, how much we, they appreciate that we are willing to go and be there and be a part of them to show up and remind them, you, you have, obviously they have failed miserably or they wouldn't be there. And our job is not to try to you know, somehow get them out. That's not what we do. We're there to help them know, <clears throat> in spite of their worst mistakes, they are still loved and forgiven by God. And so, uh, on, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, you may have seen that uh, I was given this stack of, of commitment cards. And I said, well, where'd these come from? And they said, well, they came from the prisons. And so the inmates think so highly of us and are so thankful for us in our church that uh, they're wanting to participate in this hope initiative. We brought hope to them. Now they'd like to help us bring hope to others. So today I really wanted to zero in on that and uh, talk about uh, really getting to know the giver of hope. We can't be hope givers until we are hope receivers. And so I thought today would be a good day for me to get clear about what does it look like to receive hope, the hope of Christ. What does it look like to walk with Christ? And the most important decision you can ever make is to walk and walk with and follow the hope giver, and his name is Jesus. You saw earlier in the services and baptisms and people who've said, I've met and discovered the hope giver. It's not a, necessarily a person, it's Jesus, but then those of us who follow Jesus are people that can come alongside of those who are just finding out the awesome privilege we have to be hope givers because we have found the source of hope. So today, I wanna to talk to you a little bit about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does that look like? Now, let me, tell, let me, let me give just a quick glimpse of who Jesus is. Just Some of you may not know this. I imagine a lot of you do, but let me just remind you, why would we focus on Jesus? Why would we follow Jesus? What, what is it about him that is worthy of our following? Well, a couple of things we need to, just for your memory's sake, just to remember who Jesus is, who, who calls us to gather, who calls us to worship. Well, first of all, he's God's son. It says, for God loved the world. God loved us so much that he gave his only son. He's the Word, the living Word. In the beginning was the Word, John says, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. 
So the word became a living word. He's the light. So he's God's son. He's the word. He's the light. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. That's what he said. He said, I am the light of the world. John 1, 29 says that he's the lamb, sacrificial lamb. And John 1, 29 says, look, the lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. So he's God's son. He's the living word. He's the light of all things. He's the lamb of God who sacrificed his life for us. And then he's the shepherd. John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what he does. We're the sheep. He's the shepherd. And then uh, another thing that defines Jesus is he's a servant. Matthew 20, he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's why he came. And then he says in John 14, he's the truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And that's what he says. So in essence, we have Jesus, who's, who's basically, you can, you can pretty much define it all under three titles. He's the prophet who teaches. The prophet knows things and he sees things. He's a prophet to us. He's a priest. What's a priest do? He comforts us. He represents us. Hebrews 4.14, I want to read this. It's, it's about Jesus uh, being our high priest. He's the ultimate priest, the only priest we need. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And to me, the, one of the questions there is, just for you to think about, what do you believe? At the end of the day, what do you really believe about Jesus? Certainly by being a part of Crossings, you hear about Jesus a lot because we're a Christ-centered church. We want to help people find and follow Jesus. And we do that by being people who want to take steps of faith, who want to be givers of hope, and who, who we want to be known in this city and beyond by our love. We are loved unconditionally by Jesus. We want to give that love to others. So he is that high priest. So we have this high priest who's entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God. And what, what do we do here? Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Please don't forget that. In your worst moments, on those days when all you can see are your weaknesses, we're being very clearly affirmed here. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same things we do, yet he did not sin. So as a result of that, verse 16, Hebrews 4, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, because there we're going to receive his mercy and we will find grace Grace, forgiveness, kindness. We'll find grace to help us when we need it most. And that's a promise we have. So knowing that now, knowing those things about Jesus, that's who he is, let's talk about why we should follow him. Why would we follow him? Why would I 
stake my life on helping others follow him? Why would you as believers be serious about helping others find and follow Jesus? So there's a couple of things I wanna share with you, a couple of ideas, a couple of things from the scriptures that, that help us understand why, why would we be hope givers? First of all, there is a constant demand in scripture to follow Jesus. And he repeated this call to everyone. He said, that, how many times did he say, follow me? It's a fascinating uh, story in the New Testament when you really look at the text. Let me go to, let me go to uh, Matthew uh, chapter four, verse 18. And this will kind of launch what we know about Jesus and why we would follow him and what he called us to do if we're gonna follow him. So here's what he says, Matthew 4. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water because they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them and said, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And it says immediately they left their nets at once and followed him. That's interesting. They left their nets at once and followed him. Who does that? Who goes to the office on Monday mornings and quits a job that they like and they've done well and it pays well and says, I think God is calling me to go do something radical. And sometimes that calling to do something radical may be to go serve in the community in a way that you've never done before. To take some radical steps of faith. Maybe some, for some people in our, in our team and in our church, it may call you to spend some time going around the world. We have people that have been called to places around the globe that we all support who are taking the gospel into some fairly dark places. So Jesus said, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. I will show you how to love people. I will show you how to know when you've loved them, and now it's time to say some things that might be difficult to say. Jesus' timing was perfect. It always was. So follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. And what they did, they left their nets at once and followed him. That's a big deal. Fishing was a, the industry of the day in those times. So let me continue on verse 21, Matthew 4. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, which was probably a routine they had to do about every week. And he called them to come too. He said, come, follow me. He continues that conversation. Follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for others, how to fish for people. I will show you what an abundant, exciting life it looks like. I will show you what happens when you take some radical step of faith and do what you feel tugged or, or nudged to do in following Jesus. And I guess for me, through the years, how serious are we about this? 
I mean, how, how intense are we in terms of thinking? What does it look like to follow Jesus? Now, in those days, you know, he's asking these guys to leave their career path. And we have plenty of people in this church who've left career paths to do something significant that they felt called. Not everybody does. See, God has called all of us, no matter where we are, whether it's our job, in our neighborhood, our communities, to be salt and light. To, to invite people in some way to follow Jesus, to be there when they're really interested or when they're curious or when they're hurting so bad they're interested in talking to anybody about anything, even Jesus. A lot of people aren't interested in Jesus until they're desperate. And that's a good place to be, frankly. Maybe you've been there. So there's this consistent demand to follow. In Matthew 10, he says, just take up your cross and follow me. He kept saying it. Matthew 19, Jesus meets a rich young ruler who had everything. Everything. And after testing him about his money, he says to him, come follow me. And the rich young ruler said, no, maybe not. There are always things that hold us or prevent us or have trapped us from following Jesus. And I realize this, the world's getting crazy. And the longer I'm a believer, the weirder I think I am. <laughs> Don't say anything of like that. But when people think we're just a bunch of weird people because we're following somebody we've never seen in person, we're following somebody that's talked about in the Bible, we're following somebody that was actually on the planet and the evidence is overwhelming that he was actually here. Really, skeptics don't deny the fact that he was here. What they do is deny the fact that he was God. That's the hurdle for them. So there's this consistent command for us to follow Jesus. Over and over, he said, follow me. Secondly, what does it mean to follow? Is He says, follow me. And then he says, let me tell you what following Jesus isn't. It's good to know that. Following Jesus doesn't mean just going to church. Some people would say, yeah, I follow Jesus, I go to church. And there are probably a good number of people that go to church. And really, when they leave the church by Sunday afternoon, they're back into the routine that may or may not take into consideration what it looks like to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I follow Jesus, I go to church. And I'm glad you come to church. But there's so much more. That's just the beginning of what Jesus has in mind for us. Sometimes, you know, it's easy, and I've, I've been a believer a long, long time. I came to Christ at nine years of, of age, got baptized when I was nine, and I didn't know anything at nine. I, I wish I could remember what, what, what it was sitting in that auditorium when I decided to go down to that altar. I don't really remember what it was that made me go, but, but there was something about that moment I'll never forget. I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday, but I will never forget walking down this aisle in our little church in Ohio, kneeling at an altar and saying, okay, I, I want to accept Jesus. But here's what happens, and, and I, I'm guilty of this. Sometimes doing church prevents us from being the church. It's one thing to 
do church, to be involved, to be active, to attend and all that. And all that's good. But we cannot lose sight of what it looks like to be the church. And following Jesus does just not believe you believe who he is. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. But the demons believe. The demons believe. But are we willing to recognize that our faith depends on believing in who Jesus says he is? And agreeing with that, John 12, 42. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they, here, here, here's, our, here's our problem. We've all got it at various times. I've been there, you've been there, some of you may be there. And just because I'm a pastor and been following Jesus for a long time doesn't mean I can get there. I can't get, here we go. For they love the approval of others rather than the approval of God. The Bible says that people believed who Jesus was, but they were ashamed to admit it, to confess it, in other words. Believing is not following. Please understand the difference. You can believe in Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that's good. But that comes with the next step, which is following him. Following Jesus doesn't mean we like him. But we've got to understand today, this is not what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus means more than just liking him or liking his words or liking the church or liking people at the church. So what does it mean to follow him? Couple of things. In Matthew uh, chapter four, it says the four fishermen, Jesus is lock, uh, walking along the shore. And what do he say? As I read earlier, what do he say? Follow me. He didn't ask him to believe anything at that point. He says, you'll figure that out as you go. Follow me. Immediately. Matthew did that. So following Jesus means that we're going to do some things differently. And as it was for the disciples, following Jesus means you're going to have to maybe leave some things behind. When you give your life to Christ and you choose to follow him and go where he wants to take you, then that means you're going to have to let go of some things. There's some habits. There may be some uh, thoughts in your mind. There may be some convictions you have or theories in your mind that you've kind of established through the years. Following Jesus means you may have to leave a lot of things behind so you can see a new photo, a new picture, a new way of following Jesus. What's it mean? So it means we're going to have to walk away from some things. It means we're going to have to leave some things. For the disciples who were called by Jesus, they left their careers they didn't sell their businesses. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to sell their business, but they just left what they had. They left their nets, their boats, and they did what he said. Follow me. And they did immediately. Years ago, someone said, if you look at the, on the road behind Jesus and his disciples, you'll find all kinds of things that they left behind. Fishing nets, boats, family members, business, money, and the most important, they left a lifestyle 
that was not pleasing to God and followed him. They left ego and selfishness and self-centeredness. They left it behind. There will not be things left behind in the road after you. It makes sense. You're not following someone. You're following Jesus. And it means you're going to leave something behind. What have we left behind for Jesus? It's a great question. I ask it all the time. And I don't want to be alone in this. You need to ask it too. It'll mess with you. What are we leaving behind? What have we left behind for Jesus' sake? What should we be leaving behind as we follow him? And although there's not a physical Jesus that we can see for us to follow here on this earth, like Peter and Andrew and James and John, we see in some other places where God is at work. One thing I love about our church, this wasn't part of a a strategy. I'll I'll be telling the the folks in the Get to Know Us event after the the next service here in Edmond. I'll be saying, You're not part of a strategy. We're not inviting you to be a part of a strategy. We're inviting you to be in a place where I believe you'll have the chance to find and follow Jesus. And that's what we want to do more than anything. And that may mean leaving some things behind. Secondly, following Jesus means we spend time with him. Probably one of the most important elements of spending time Uh, of following Jesus, walking with him, spending time with him. And the kind of lives we live these days, the busyness and all that occupies our mind, all the stuff coming at us, it's all the more important we have a chance to sit down, be still, and just think. Pray. These disciples just walked with him. And along the way, what do they do? They ask questions. I think a lot of people think we've got to be a certain way. We've got to clean up or be this or get rid of this before we come to him. No, no, no. We all come to Jesus with a lot of baggage. We come to Jesus holding on to things. He's going to help us get in perspective. And some of those things we're going to have to let go of. Walking with him, spending time with him. That's what he invited those first followers to do. Mark 3, 14 says, when Jesus called the 12 to follow him, he said, so that they can be with him. So third part of this, we leave behind some things, we spend time with him, and then we're confessing. In other words, we're acknowledging, we're not ashamed to admit we follow Jesus. Therefore, the scriptures say, therefore, everyone who confesses me before others, I will also confess them before my Father who's in heaven. So part of what it means to follow Jesus is to basically not be ashamed that you're a follower of Jesus. Now, this does not mean that we, we are suddenly we're going to show up at work the next day and just with, a, you know, with the biggest Bible we can find, this is the Bible I had at the house. So it's, I usually have a thinner Bible up here, you know, but this is the one I had available. I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest that your exuberance as a believer means you walk into an office where people may see very differently than you do. They may not know Jesus. They may not care to know Jesus. They may have heard of him or rejected him. And you're going to walk in with this going, I'm here to help you know Jesus. That ain't going to work. It's not going to work. Believe me, I've lived long enough. I've been through so many different kinds of, of evangelism training. 
another being trained to share your faith. I've been through so much of that. And they work then. But at the end of the day, what really works is that people can see something in us that makes them curious about what we have. The way we handle things. The way we treat others. So we, we're not ashamed to be a, a follower. We want to become like him. We want to love him. Love him because why? Because he first loved us. Hebrews 6 says this, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. And I love these, this little piece of the sentence that it closes with. This, this anchor we have for the soul, what's the rest of that verse says, it's firm and it's secure. Which is what I think the culture is craving. So what is this hope that we have? Hope by definition is a strong and confident expectation and unwavering trust and the unchanging character of God. I said a few, uh, I think it's been a couple of months ago now, I was talking about the uh, study that I read about uh, people who've been atheists who changed their minds about religion and about Christianity. And here's what this, uh, the C.S. Lewis Institute, you may remember this, they did a, a lengthy study, and here's what they found out. Skeptics in our research first decided, maybe you remember this, they first decided Christianity was good or attractive as something they desired before they needed to check and see whether it was true or not. So in other words, those of us who follow Jesus by simply following him have the opportunity for people to say, what is true about you that makes you different? What is true about you that makes you so kind? Our lives intersecting with non-believers can and does help open the door to faith in ways that were not possible when there was little to no personal connection with Christians. And unfortunately, we need to own this, as Christians, we're being, I think, inappropriately defined in the culture. We're kind of defined by everything we're against rather than what we are for. And Jesus said it all. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, on these two commandments, everything depends and it hangs on the law and the prophets. So let me ask you a couple of questions as we close. First of all, I, I hope you now know what it means to follow Jesus, what it looks like. I gave you a quick glimpse. And I would say many of you, if not most of you, would consider yourselves followers of Jesus. That's, that's our highest priority as a church. We want to help people find and follow Jesus. So the questions for you to consider today is this. I want to ask you, does he have all of you? Did, did you give him part of you? 
And honestly, there's times as you come to Christ, it's a, it, it doesn't all happen at one time. You may be in that position where you've, you've given Jesus a good look, you've chosen to follow him, and there, there will be a season of time where over time you're going to be letting go of some things you have dragged in from the past. Habits, hang-ups, whatever it is. Does he have all of you? Where is it in our lives that we're going against kind of the grain of everyday life and taking steps of faith that non-believers might even think are not wise? Second question, some of you, some of you are curious. In, in all of our rooms today, there's people who are curious, and I'm glad you are. And you're in a great place to pursue questions. We're good with that. We don't judge you by that. We're glad you're asking questions. We'll walk with you as long as it takes to get those questions answered. And I'm glad you're here. And I just say, keep pursuing, keep questioning, pursue the truth of Jesus. Another thing I would say, for those who are following Jesus, ask yourself, what in your life is different because you're a follower of Christ? What in your life is different that wouldn't be happening or you wouldn't be thinking or wouldn't be doing if you were not a follower of Christ? If you were not a follower of Christ, would your life look any different? So if you are following him, what is different because of that? And if you want to get serious about your faith and your walk with Jesus, I believe our church is a great place to do that. Some people don't like us, it's so big. And we, believe me, we didn't set out to, to be a big church. As I say frequently, we just have been beggars who found bread, the bread of life, his name is Jesus. And we have spent a lot of time telling other beggars where to find the bread we found. Tony Evans is a favorite pastor of mine down in Dallas. And he said this, talking about how we gather as a church and where we find our strength, where we gain the energy to keep being a follower of Jesus. He said this, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. He said, people say that and they're right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. You don't have to go home to be married. But you stay away long enough and your relationship will be affected. That's true about our relationships. That's true about our marriages. And it's true about following Jesus. I'm gonna close in prayer. And if you have questions or you wanna to talk to someone or you'd like someone to pray with you, whatever barriers might stand between you and truly being fully surrendered to Jesus. Our prayer teams in all of our rooms are prepared to talk with you, to help you pray through something. And it may have nothing to do with the sermon today. It may have everything to do with something that's been part of your life. Maybe you're having a deep, deep struggle. Maybe you're in deep sadness because somebody you love, you've lost them maybe. I just want you to know these prayer teams are ready to pray with you for whatever it may be on your mind. So I'll call the prayer teams forward. Let me close our service in prayer. Father, how we thank you for the clarity and the simplicity of the gospel. Thank you for sending Jesus to us who became like us, who became one of us, that we might find our way to you, Father. 
Father, I pray for the courage for all of us to occasionally do a brief inventory of how are we doing? Where are we headed? And where is Jesus in all this? Father, I pray that you would just speak to us, stir our hearts and thoughts, our minds, that we might do whatever it is you're calling us to do. That we might have the courage to unashamedly follow Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.